Um, well, hey, welcome back, everyone. Um, what a cool story, right? Um, uh, this uh, obviously is from the uh, Alpha series, and we are in the middle of a, uh, a series called Witness, which is all about evangelism and sharing our faith. And uh, for the next few weeks, as we engage with these questions, each week I want to show you a different story of someone whose life was transformed by Jesus. Um, and uh, just to kind of help us remember why we're here and what we're doing and, and the power of God that actually can meet us here. And as well as a helpful kind of taster to know the impact that Alpha can have on someone's life. And uh, we are going to be running an Alpha in uh, term two of this year. And so I've just been doing a lot of back-end work on that this week, and I'll be sending out some info to you guys because I would love for us as a church, as we engage in this series on witnessing and sharing our faith, Alpha is such an easy and wonderful way to find a practical outworking for that in a way that honors and loves people. Um, so just keep your ears out for that. More communication will be coming out this week. We will need chefs and caterers and table hosts and uh, set up and tear down volunteers and some sound and techie people. So I would love if we could get as much kind of buy-in for this as possible because it really does have the power to transform people's lives. Um, so with that, let me pray as we kind of continue this series around evangelism and faith. Um, God, I thank you that you are still working in people's lives. I thank you that you are still... Uh, transforming people, and that your gospel still has power today. Um, God, as we as a church kind of take a look at sharing our faith and witnessing and evangelism and uh, try to unpack that, um, Jesus, my biggest hope and prayer is that you would deepen within each and every one of us a greater love for you and a greater confidence of what you are doing both in our lives and in our world. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. So, yeah, like I said, we are in the midst of a series on evangelism, which is either like, yay, some of you are excited about that, or no, some of you are not excited about that. Uh, last week, uh, here in this space, we held a conversation with me and Bernie and Brooke and a few others talking around evangelism, and it was so fascinating because I get to watch the comments come through. And thank you guys for those of you who participated in that. So I watched those comments, and then I had a lot of conversations with you throughout the week. And I just want to acknowledge a series like this, how many of us are emotionally walking into it. Uh, for some of us, you're coming into a series on evangelism, and you're like, yes, finally, mm, I'm there for it. You know, in your heart of hearts, you're like, for too long, the church has been getting you know, confused on all this wishy-washy stuff. We're doing this and we're doing that and we've forgotten the core call to help people come to know Jesus and we want to see more baptism. So when I'm starting to talk about evangelism, you're like, I'm there for it. Let's do it. Let's go out onto the streets and we'll start preaching and we'll get the baptism pool ready and we'll be there. may actually come into it with a real sense of anxiety and guilt um, for not being what maybe God, you think God wants you to be or what the church wants you to be. And so if that's you, I see you. I, I understand that. And then there are some of you that maybe have bad experiences with evangelism. Maybe uh, you have experiences of your friends who've had an evangelism form that was like really aggressive. Someone was trying to tell you about Jesus and make you become a convert and it felt like really, really harsh or maybe like good ministries that you were doing. Someone was like, but we're not telling people about Jesus. And then the whole ministry shifted and it no longer became about the relational heart. It just became about getting people across the line. And so when I talk about evangelism, maybe you come in here really nervous 
that we're suddenly going to be a church that's like just getting ready for every Sunday. We put a new notch on our belt of like, oh, I got my three converts this week, and now I can share at church and be a better Christian than everybody else. So some of us are excited, some of us are anxious, and some of us are just nervous because we don't want any part of that system. We don't want to hurt or abuse people. And so in that space, I just want to acknowledge all of those feelings and say, I see you, and that's okay. It's okay to be in that space. And my hope and prayer is that through this series, we can find a way together to have a helpful and a positive outlook on God's work in our world and how we might participate in it. So over the seas, we're going to ask lots of big questions. We're going to talk about how to share your faith one-on-one. We're going to ask questions around what kind of gospel are we talking about? What kind of gospel are we sharing? But today, I want to focus in on one question. One question to really ground us, which is, do you think maybe sometimes we've lost a confidence in the gospel? Like when it comes to evangelism or talking to people about Jesus, I sometimes wonder whether me personally, sometimes the church, I sometimes wonder whether we've lost confidence in this gospel message, in this mode of evangelism. Because we've lost confidence in it, we're reluctant to do like faith sharing stuff because we feel like it doesn't work. Like nothing's getting through. And do you, do you feel that way? Have you ever felt that way? I mean, you're not allowed to say it. Particularly, there's a few people here today and you're in a church building. So no, of course, you've not lost confidence in the gospel. You're, you're here on Sunday. You guys are, you guys are the good folk. And, but, but if we're honest, deep in our heart of hearts, I wonder whether sometimes we've lost some of that confidence in the story of Jesus and in what he can do. Um, Paul, in his letter to the Romans, he writes this. I have complete confidence in the gospel. It's God's power to save all who believe, first the Jews and also the Gentiles. For the gospel reveals how God puts people right with himself. It's through faith from beginning to end. As the scripture says, the person who is put right with God, uh, who's put right with God through faith shall live. And so Paul has this confidence and he's very confident about how he talks about the gospel and what he's doing. And I wonder if sometimes the way that we go about evangelism or talk about it maybe shows we don't have as much confidence as perhaps we could have. Maybe we don't have as much faith that God could do as much as he is perhaps doing. And I've got a suspicion for this because I was this week and the last few weeks, I've been doing heaps of research on like ways people do evangelism and how this happens. I've read blog posts. I've listened to different pastors talk about it. I've looked at different church evangelism strategies and I've just been gauging how people go through. And as I've been researching, there were these two trends of the way people talked about sharing our faith and engaging in God's mission in evangelism that really struck out to me that I was like, ah, I wonder if we've lost confidence. So one of the ways that kind of stuck out to me in the ways that we do evangelism is often we talk about evangelism as like truth persuasion. Like my goal is to uh, convince you of the truth. You know, like the gospel says, like if you confess with your mouth and believe, you know, believe in your mind that Jesus is Lord, then you will be saved. And so a lot of the evangelism strategies I see are about trying to convince people of truth. I mean, Peter says to his church, uh, he writing to them, he says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. 
And so a lot of churches and groups I've seen have taken that on board and say, we need to be able to get the answers ready. If people want to engage with Jesus, we need to have the answers for them. And so we dive into things like apologetics classes. We go into uh, the Genesis, answers in Genesis. Well, if the Bible's true, if we can prove it, if I can just logically show that A happened, then B happened, then C happened, then that person might believe. And then there's questions about why does bad things happen to good people? And are, is there good historical evidence for the resurrection? And we can dive super, super deep. And then we go down the YouTube algorithm. I don't know if any of you guys have gone down here, but you talk of, if you just Google like faith versus science, there are 10,000 different like debates where like big thinkers come and like have at it. You'd have like the most famous one a couple of years ago was Ken Ham who built the giant ark in America versus Bill Nye the science guy who were going at it to see if one could convince the other of objective truth. You'd have uh, Sam Harris, a famous atheist, versus Jordan Peterson, who's now kind of somehow a Christian representative. And they go at it on YouTube, and we get excited about apologetics and getting the right answers. And we think if we just get everything right, and we just present people with objective truth, and if we can just convince them, if I can convince you that it's true, then you'll become a Christian. Then you'll believe. And then everything will be perfect. But as you go down through that route, I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but I often don't find that arguing or trying to convince people in debate gets very far with helping them to know Jesus. In fact, one of the concerns that I always had is that you can be really, really good with arguing, and you can argue the gospel perfectly, and you could very, very likely win the argument and lose the person at the exact same time. We can try and have all the answers, but the truth is it's not very easy to just logic someone into the kingdom of God, to logic someone into believing the truths about Jesus. But because it gives us a sense of control and stability, often so much of our evangelism is just about trying to convince you of truth. If I can convince you that this is true, then you'll believe. Well, it's no wonder that a lot of us, if that's our mode of evangelism, it's no wonder that a lot of us are very unconfident with that. I'm a pastor, and I've studied the scriptures, and I still don't feel like I have all the answers. I can sit down and debate, and in two seconds, someone can ask me a question, I'll be like, well, no idea. That's a great question. This happened to me the other week, talking with someone about faith, and they asked me this question about like pain and death and then like scriptural accuracy, and I was like, wow, I have never heard of that. I don't know. And I got to study for three years about this stuff. It's no wonder that many of us have lost confidence because if it's all about convincing someone of truth, it's no wonder that many of us feel inadequate to do that. You may not be an eloquent person. You may not be an academic. And so we get scared thinking about sharing the gospel with someone because we think, what if I don't have all the answers? What if I don't have the right retort to their question? And if I can't convince them, then it's my fault that they didn't become a Christian. See the challenges in that? So I don't know that we can just persuade people of truth. I don't know that that is enough to like solve all of our evangelism woes. So what I often see then is uh, that's one group of church people that often talk about evangelism and they say, this is going to be it. We'll have confidence if we can just convince people of the truth. And then you get this reaction, this pendulum swing from another group in the church that then say, no, we can't logic anyone into the kingdom, so we're going to do just good social acts of service. We are going to love people. We're going to feed the homeless. We're going to advocate for good social policies. We are going to do all of the th practical things that we can to show someone we love them. 
I mean, and they draw on texts like this. James says this, you say you have faith for you believe that there was one God. Well, good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? And so there's this sense for a lot of people who read these texts about like, oh, okay, we can't logic someone in, so I'm just going to do good things. And so we get stuck into great social programs. And the church has done amazing social programs. They, we get stuck into feeding the homeless. We get stuck into, you know, advocating for better child care policy. We engage in like working groups to get like good legislation to lobby the government to do good tax reform so that the lowest people on taxes don't have to pay too much. And we can get like get doing all these things. And the hope is that if we do enough things and we instill enough good values in people, if we just kind of like create the culture around them of Christianity, then that'll switch them on. If we can just work everything around them, then they'll know that Jesus is true and then they'll choose to follow him. You know, you get the famous passage by, uh, the famous saying by St. Francis of Assisi, which is preach the gospel always and when necessary use words. Um, the challenge with that is, uh, one, uh, Francis of Assisi didn't say that. Uh, there's no records. He got attributed to it. It's true, but no one ever has any records of St. Francis of Assisi ever saying, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. And in fact, when you read St. Francis's biography, he tells people about Jesus all the flippin' time. Um, as a side note, uh, this doesn't actually have anything to do with the sermon today, but I read a biography on St. Francis, and it was the most fun biography of a church saint I've ever read in my life, because never before in a biography that I've read has a Christian saint gotten naked so often. Honestly, all the time, St. Francis, all the time, every like 10, 15 pages, that dude got butt naked. And it was because he had this radical commitment to the poor, and so often he had this like, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, there's that passage where Jesus says, if you have your cloak, give it to the other one. He took that literally. And so it was a regular occurrence that he would be going out and doing charitable work and telling people about Jesus. He would find a poor person who didn't have a cloak. He would take off literally all of his clothes and give them to the poor and then would walk home naked. It got to such a bad problem that the other monks in the group in his order began saying to him, please, Francis, stop giving your tunics away because they felt ashamed that they had to keep picking up their lead monk naked from the side of the road all the time. So if you're wanting a good read, honestly, go read Francis's biography, because you're like, and he's naked again. How does this happen all the time? Evangelism by getting naked. Who would have thought? That is not a good method. I'm not advocating for evangelism by nakedness. No, don't do it. Um, I don't know why I was talking about St. Francis so long. Um, <laughs> But it comes back to that thing of like St. Francis, who did some of the best work amongst the poor in that time, still regularly told people about Jesus. And we can create all the good culture that we want to. We can do all the practical things. But the challenge there is that still doesn't mean someone will actually come into relationship with God, be brought into union with his church. And if we're not careful, it can actually lead to some really dangerous consequences, which I know sounds weird on the surface. But in the 1800s, 17th, 18th century, there was this real view that that was the key way that God was spreading his gospel to the world. That the church, which is predominantly English and American at that stage, would go out to all the world. They would preach the gospel, but they would also bring civilization with them. They would bring writings and tools and clothes and culture. And it became this idea that if they went to a culture, the early missionaries, many of them thought you actually can't convert an indigenous person to Christianity as they are. 
you must first do all these things for them, wrap them around with culture and civilization, and only once you've done that, then they end up becoming a Christian. And the danger with that is that led to some really dangerous colonizing practices of if we think that we can transform the world, it gets us into a dangerous place. The core belief at that time was the way that Jesus was going to come back is that civilization, particularly Western civilization, would spread so effectively across the world that it would basically inaugurate the kingdom of God. It would be like heaven on earth, and then Jesus would come back. This is what almost all church leaders thought at the end of the, night, of the, end of the 1800s. And then the 20th century turns around, and enlightened, modern, Western civilization engages in the bloodiest century in human history. This great culture that we thought we were going to set up ends up turning on us, and it doesn't work. And so we can do all these good things, and we should do these good things, but we cannot build the kingdom without the king. We cannot exist in the kingdom of God without the king himself being central to making that happen. And that doesn't mean it's bad to be doing good things. We should absolutely be doing acts of service and charity, but that alone is not going to be sufficient. And so you have these two, these two challenges of some who are saying we need to persuade people with truth and some who are like, we'll do good social services. And if we do one of those things, then we can have confidence in the gospel because then people will convert and then our churches will get bigger and then we'll have more baptisms and then we'll have more things on our AGM to celebrate, which validates us as a healthy growing church because we're getting good converts and then we feel really good about ourselves. But yet we still have very little confidence in the gospel. And do you know what I think the biggest challenge with both of those modes are? whether it's convincing someone of truth or doing good things for them until they finally wake up to the realization. The challenge is both of these modes are 100% reliant on us and our role in sharing the gospel. And what's God's role in this? In both of these key frameworks, God is utterly passive. God is doing nothing. God is sitting on his hands waiting for people to be convinced. God is sitting on his hands waiting for us to do good things to convince someone of the truth. And the challenge is, I think one of the reasons we've lost confidence in the gospel and in evangelism is because we don't actually think maybe that God is actually doing as much as he really is. Andrew Root, who talks about modern day culture, he says this, 500 years ago, our culture was continuously open to the supernatural. To, engaging, uh, to encountering that which transcends human minds, cultures, and natural realms. But now, our secular age ultimately finds transcendence and divine action unbelievable. Which is to say, the modern way that our world thinks about it is faith in evangelism. It's all just personal decisions, personal beliefs, good things that we do, actions that we should be responsible for. But I think what, God, what the gospel is talking about is not primarily about what we are doing. Evangelism, I don't think, is primarily about how we do better things for God. I think evangelism is primarily a story about what God himself is doing in other people's lives. Go back to Paul's language. Paul, again, he says, I have confidence in the gospel. But why does he have confidence in the gospel? Is Does he have confidence in the gospel because it's a great message that's easy to persuade people with? No. Is it, I have confidence in the gospel because once we do good things for people, then they'll realize that we're really nice people and then they'll decide to follow Jesus. No. Why does Paul have confidence in the gospel? I have confidence because it is God's power to save all of those who believe first the Jews and then the Gentiles. For the gospel reveals how God 
puts people right with himself. And it is through faith from beginning to end. See, Paul had this knowledge and this confidence because his confidence was based on the knowledge that God was acting in our lives, in our neighbor's lives, in our neighborhood, and in the world. God is the first mover who's drawing people to himself. God is the one who's encountering and transforming lives. God is the one who's at work. And so Paul's job is he has confidence because we join with that. The key language that scripture uses is this language of witness. And that's why the series is titled this. And it's why I want us to gain some confidence again of what is our role. I don't think our role is actually to convince people of anything, to argue people into the kingdom. Nor is our role just to be really, really good workers, although we absolutely should be doing good things. No, I think our core role is called to be witnesses. In Acts, the story of how it goes, um, the disciples gather around Jesus just as before he goes away and listen to how Jesus defines their role. They gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, Look, it's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, so you will have an encounter with God, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The role of witnesses in the gospel is to point to the action that someone else is doing, to point to the story of what someone else is already doing. And so our role, I think when we talk about evangelism and faith sharing, you don't need to have all the answers. You don't need to have a perfect method in your head about this is the way I share my faith to people. I don't need to have it all tidied up in a nice little bow. I think the skill that we can develop is learning how to have confidence in witnessing, pointing out what God is doing, and just highlighting that. Pointing out how God has met you in your life. Not just a logical truth that you've understood, but when you've encountered the risen Jesus. Because, and we started with that story. When you hear the stories of people who encounter Jesus, it is transformative. For them, it wasn't just a logical truth. They met with God. And then Jesus himself begins to transform them. And so I have confidence in this. I have confidence in the gospel not because I have it all answered, but because I can witness to moments where God has transformed my life and where I've seen him transform other people's lives. I can witness to the fact of um, when God met me. I grew up in a Christian family and in a Christian home. My parents were missionaries and I went to church all too often. And so God was always in this space and in my life. But there was these huge challenges and weights that, that came upon me. I mean, for me, I was the only white kid surrounded by a bunch of Mexican kids. And anyone who's lived in a foreign culture as a kid knows, at least for me, the thing I craved most deeply in my heart was to be accepted as everybody else. But I always felt separate and other. And so I began to contort my whole life around what it means to be accepted by other people. As, and then as a good Christian pastor's kid, that brings on a whole new sense of connotations of expectations you're meant to have on Sunday, behaviors you're supposed to do, um, ways you're meant to talk and relate to your parents. And so I began to, over the course of my life, begin to constantly contort myself into ways to, to hope that I might mold myself into someone that people could accept as one of them. And it began this 
struggle within me where it became so hard to honestly ever communicate what was really going on. I buried things so profoundly deep. And I began to say whatever I thought people needed to hear so that they might accept me. I went away on missions trips. I was surrounded by other Christians and I was in that space and I thought it was gonna be great, but I kept saying whatever I could say in order to be accepted. I mean, I've shared the story here before about how I completely made up my entire testimony to add on alcohol and a little bit of drug use, but not too much drug use because I don't think I could pull it off. But I told this whole story about how I was really into alcohol and a few girls uh, to try and make myself seem like I had more of a story because I felt like that's what people wanted from me. And so I began to contort and I just, it didn't even feel like lying, it felt like survival. Because that was the only way I could find that acceptance and that love that I just so desperately craved. And then it wasn't until the end of a long journey uh, after going on a trip and working through this course and this program that I felt like for nine months I had contorted myself so hard into what people wanted me to be and it still wasn't sufficient. I still felt like an outsider. I still felt lonely. I still felt utterly lost and hidden in that space, rejected from everybody else. And it was in that space one night, in my pain and in my sorrow, that I called out to God, raged against him, called him out saying, he's just left me alone, he's not met me, he's a jerk, he should have done more, why did I have to live this life, why was I separated from these people, why did I always feel so different from everybody else, why couldn't I just be like them? And I raged. And then in this quiet space, God met me. And I'd been to the big revival meetings. I've been to the big Sundays where you call people forward for prayer and I've put up my hand and I did all that. But there was something profound when in a hostel in Taiwan by myself at about nine o'clock at night, God met me as I just sobbed. And God's spirit came and he said to me, I see you. I know you, I love you. And it was like that deep need within me just began to fall apart. And it's like God began to like uncontort me from all these different spaces that I was in and began to reform me into who I was really called to be. I had a new identity because I was loved by God. And it's that transformation that I know there's good logical arguments for scripture and I've been through them and I know there's good things people have done with me, but there is nothing like actually meeting Jesus. And so I feel like my role and what our role as the church could be is calling ourselves to be witnesses to what God is doing. Can you witness to the story of what God has done in your life? Can you point out where God has met you? In your workplace and with your friends, when people are low, when they are lonely, how can we begin to have eyes to see what God is doing for them in that space? How God is meeting them in their lives now. And it doesn't mean we need to have all the answers, but our posture changes from trying to convince or just do nice things to instead say, I think God is wanting to meet with you now. I think God is wanting to reach out to you right now. I think Jesus is wanting to reconcile you right now. I think God is wanting to bring some healing right now. I think even in your pain and your difficulty and your loneliness and your anxiety, God wants to come and transform you right now. Because in that, do I have confidence that I'm gonna be able to logic someone into the kingdom of God? No, I, I, I don't. 
do I have confidence that if I just keep on doing good things for people, that will get them into the kingdom of God? No, I don't. But can I have faith that God is living and active and working in your life? Yes, I do have faith for that. And I know that because he's done it for me. And I know that he wants to do it for each and every one of you. And I know that he wants to do that in our workplaces and our spaces. And so my hope today is that you might have confidence again, not in your ability, not in your strength, but in God, who is always working, who is meeting people from time on past until today. He met Peter, he met John, he met Paul, he met me. And in your groups, I'm sure each and one of you could tell a story. Many of you could tell a story of how God met with you. I can bear witness to that. Together, we can bear witness to that. And I think we can have confidence that as we point out what God is doing now, that he will be faithful to do what he needs to do. Let's pray.